Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. It's always wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for coming to hear God's word, to worship the Lord together in song, and to continue our worship now through his word. We're about halfway through our Thinking Biblically series, maybe a bit over halfway through. What we're going to be doing the last week of July, there's five Sundays in July, our brother David Aruda should be kicking off uh, our Summer Psalms series. Yes, summer is ha- will be half over then, but uh, we're going to do some Summer Psalms. And then about the middle of September, we're going back to the Old Testament to look at the life of Moses. I know you all love the Psalms. They're very practical. The life of Moses will be as practical as the life of Abraham and the life of Joseph. We'll likely look at the life of Moses through the lens of answering God's call. That happened at the burning bush in Exodus, uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. But his entire life was involved with answering God's call. His preparation for the call, the call itself his reluctance to answer the call, and then how he served God in the call. So I trust you'll find all those messages very practical. Let me just repeat something I said at the very outset. These messages in our Thinking Biblically series, how did they come about? They came about from you all. These are all based on questions or suggestions from you all, questions that I have been asked sometimes repeatedly by multiple individuals about the functioning of the local church. What does the New Testament teach about the local church? Some of them, like uh, true biblical worship, was suggested by one of the sisters here at Grace Gospel Church that we should do something about that. Stewardship, financial stewardship was a suggestion also. We hadn't had a message in about 22 months on financial stewardship, so we had one. So these messages are generated by you all, and we're trying to respond and address those questions and those suggestions through these series of messages. Now, all that being said, we're going to have a message today, thinking biblically, about local church leadership. Oh no, are you telling me that this is yet another message about elders? And in fact it is. It's going to look at a different aspect of elders. But Paul, don't you know, don't you get it? I'm not an elder, someone might be thinking. What applicability Can a message on elders, even just one, much less a third or fourth one, have for me? Let me make it very clear. All of these messages, whether about elders or about deacons or about the role of women, not all of us are women, they have applicability to each and every saint. God says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture, not some, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. 
Okay, so what's the profitability regarding messages on elders to those who aren't elders? Our brother Gilson, in his masterful message, made this so clear near the end of his message two Sundays ago. He quoted from 1 Corinthians 11.1. It expressed the same truth as this passage that our brother Joe read for us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We get that same truth in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their conduct or their way of life, imitate their faith. That word imitate here is related to the same word he used in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. They're related words, just like runner and run are related words in English. And imitator and imitate are related in English. The underlying Greek words, the original language that the New Testament was written in, they're related words as well. Imitate their faith. That's God's instruction to every one of us. Imitate the faith, the conduct, the way our leaders live our life before the Lord and before you all is to be imitated by each and every one of us. I wish you all could know the elders of Grace Gospel Church the way I know them. Mike Browner and I were recognized by you all as elders almost five years ago. We were recognized at the same time. Here's the Mike Browner that I know. Exactly what he was before salvation, a decorated combat veteran, is what he is in the Christian faith. He is a man of courage, willing to face anything in life that the Lord allows in his life. He is a rock. His faith is unshakable in any trial in life. Mike asks one question about everything. What is God's will? What does God want from me? And then he follows through. I think it was about a year later, our brother Tommy Texera was raised up by the Holy Spirit and recognized as you all, by you all as an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of Tommy. <laughs> I think a servant's heart. You're going to see how that comes out in these verses that our brother Joe read for us. When I think of Tom, I think service. Here's the book of Tom. Chapter 1, page 1, service. Page 2, service. Page 3, service. Page 4, service. There is no time that you will not find our brother Tom serving. What an example to us all. 
the Lord was then pleased to raise up our brother Jim Silvera. I think of courage when I think of our brother Jim Silvera. He's more concerned with what God knows about him than what any man thinks about him. He will make the unpopular decision. I think common sense. He is the perfect balance to my idealism and perfectionism. He's got common sense. And he has a consuming passion to see this church grow and to encourage the younger people here. This is the Jim Silvera I know and see. And then most recently, the Lord raised up Peter Lima. I don't think he's even graduated from high school. That's not a requirement that our brother Gilson went over two Sundays ago. Yes, English is not his first language. Those of you who can speak Portuguese, I'm sure you're blessed much more by Peter Lima than you could ever be blessed by me, for example. Peter Lima, let me tell you about that man. You never judge a book by its cover. Peter Lima has this quality of insight. He looks around and he sees needs. I miss him. I totally miss those things. But if I do happen to see something, I see a problem that needs to be fixed. It's the engineer in me. Peter doesn't see it as a problem. He sees it as a need to be shepherded. Get to know these men. Spend time for them. Pray for them. Call them up on the phone and talk to them. You will be blessed and you will benefit because the Lord requires that we imitate their faith. Me, there's not much you need to know. Basically, <laughs> I talked with our brother Gilson a couple months ago, and I asked him if he could please sing that song that he sang this morning. The only thing you, you need to know about me, maybe the only thing that might be even the least commendable is I want to know you more, dear God. I want to know you more, Lord Jesus. This is what consumes me. We will only know him primarily through his word. That's all you need to know about me. It's a very short book. Even the tracks, the gospel tracks, are longer than my story. Elders are to be an example to you, and you are to imitate those character qualities, that masterful message that our brother Gilson preached. Those character qualities are the qualities, the Christ-like qualities of a mature believer in Christ. Something God wants from every one of us, whether we're an elder or not, whether we're a man or a woman, whether you're a newborn babe in Christ or you've been saved for 30, 40, 50 years. It doesn't matter. Most of those characteristics that Gilson preached about are character qualities. They were under the heading of temperament. 
we all should desire to be like that. Today, we want to look at the responsibilities and duties of elders. What do they do? We learned a lot about elders already. There and why multiple messages about elders? Because there are so many passages in the New Testament that bring out different aspects of church leadership, namely the elders. We saw that they existed. Everywhere you look, you see elders, multiple men shepherding the churches of Jesus Christ. We saw that elders are to lead, not rule. We saw that elders should be obeyed and submitted to when they're standing on the sure foundation of God's word, voicing God's thoughts on a matter and not simply their own opinions. So let's get into the responsibilities of local church elders. We're going to look at them as exemplified through Paul and his words in Acts 20 that our brother Joey read. Keep in mind, as we look at these duties and these responsibilities, God wants every one of us to be doing these things in our Christian walk. This is how it applies to each and every one of us here. The first thing we need to establish is that Paul indeed holds himself forth as an example. It's not enough that he told the Corinthians, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. What did he tell the elders of the church of Ephesus? And then how does that filter down to all of us here this morning? Paul is clearly an example. In verse 17, he called the elders of the church and he said... You yourselves know. He was appealing to their knowledge, appealing to what they knew to be true about himself. You yourselves know how I was serving. His service was before them. They knew this. He's offering up his service as confirmation of everything he's about to say how I did not shrink from declaring to you and teaching you. They knew this. They sat under his teaching. They knew what he was about to say was all true because they experienced it. They heard it with their ears. They watched him teach God's word. He tells them, remember, keep on remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease no one could dispute this. They all knew it because his life was lived before them as an example. I did not cease to admonish. You yourselves know that these hand ministered in everything I showed you. Clearly, these verses, Paul is setting himself before the Ephesian elders as an example that ought to be followed. Paul said that he imitated Christ. He exhorted the elders to imitate him. And in Hebrews 13, 7, we saw that every one of us should imitate our elders. Christ, Paul, the elders, every Christian. We're all to imitate what is Christ-like. And so Paul is an example. And though 
he sets himself forth here as primarily an example to the elders of the church at Ephesus. What is true of him, since we are to imitate the faith of our elders, the life, the conduct, the behavior of our elders, it is true, this is true of what we all should be, not simply elders. Let me tell you a story. Numbers chapter 11. Moses is meeting out at the, well, in the center in the, with the tabernacle with the 70 elders of Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord descends upon those 70 elders who are gathered with Moses and they begin to prophesy. Suddenly, a young man comes running from the camp of Israel. And he tells Moses, Moses, two men, Eldad and Medad, are in the camp. They're not with you, and they're prophesying. Joshua, the protege of Moses, Joshua says, Moses, stop them. They're a threat to you and your position as leader. They're not with you here, and they're prophesying. What does Moses do? What is his response? Moses says, Josh, don't sweat it. Were that all the Lord's people were prophets. That was Moses' attitude. He wanted God to speak through all of his people. How does that story from Numbers 11 apply to us today, considering this passage, were that all the Lord's people were elders, were that we all had those characteristics, our brother Gilson so eloquently and practically preached about and made clear and plain and brought down to us, were we all engaging in responsibilities at, similar to what elders should do? Serving in the local church. That's how it applies to all of us. Were that all of us were at the level that elders are supposed to be. Were that those character qualities and diligent service in these various areas that we're going to look at in Acts 20 from Paul's life, were that they were all true of each and every one of us in a consistent fashion were that we all conducted ourselves and lived our life as Christians as elders ought to. The first characteristic Paul brings up from his life that we should all imitate is continual humble service. And he said, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all hum humility, that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to serve the Lord, to serve you. It was continual, the first day, the whole time, serving night and day for a period of three years. He did not cease. He didn't take an extended vacation. Oh, I think I'll take this summer off. 
from my walk with the Lord, from my practice of the Christian faith. He didn't cease. It was continual. It was humble service, serving with all humility. Do you remember when we covered, uh, when we preached through the gospel according to Mark? Remember what the key verse in Mark was? It was Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man, Son of Man, a messianic term that the Jews used coming from Daniel chapter 7. For Christ said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What is the context of that key verse? James and John come to the Lord. And these brothers say to the Lord, in the hearing of the other ten, Lord, we want you to grant that we sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come in your glory. Christ said to them, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? As the verses go on, we read that the ten become indignant and angry at James and John. Christ says, okay, huddle up, guys, huddle up. And he says this to them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority. But it is not to be that way amongst you. For whoever wishes to be great shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first shall become slave of all. For even the Son of Man, and he cites himself now as the example, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to lay down his life a ransom for many. Christian leadership is about serving the one who would be chief, the one who would lead, must be a servant, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come as the emperor of the world. He will come as the future king, but the first time he came as the servant of all. He accomplished what none of us would ever have been able to accomplish, purchasing redemption and salvation through his death and his blood on the cross. Christian leadership is very different than leadership in the world. It is about serving. No man, no individual who heads up a ministry is fit to lead until they demonstrate that they can serve. That is an important test of Christian leadership. Continual, humble service. There's emotional investment in the church. Serving the Lord with all humility and tears. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you. Warn, encourage, counsel each one of you with tears. Paul had deep emotional investment in the church of Ephesus. He spent three years there. And he loved them. He poured his life out 
into each of them and into that local church. There needs to be emotional investment in the church. And I think I'm preaching to the choir here because because unless you're new to Grace Gospel, so many of you have been here longer than the nearly seven years I've been here. Your commitment, your devotion, your emotional investment in Grace Gospel Church should be questioned by no one. It's plain and clear for all to see. I see it. You've stuck it out. You've been here. You're invested. You serve in whatever capacity the Holy Spirit has gifted you to serve, and that's commendable. You're not neutral about Grace Gospel Church. There ought to be an emotional investment, and on the part of so many of you, there is. You love this church. Why? Because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so clear. Paul holds himself up as an example for all of us serving the church even in the face of trials. The whole time serving the Lord with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. It's easy to serve when the way is not rocky, when there's no hurdles, no trials in life. Paul served even in the face of trials. This church has been through trials, and you all, you've stuck it out. The elders of this church have faced trials and difficult decisions just like Paul did. Maybe not to the degree of Paul, not bonds and afflictions. Oh, that may come someday. But there have been trials in your life and in the lives of the elders, and hopefully by God's grace and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the elders have shown by the way they handle those personal trials and the corporate trials of the church that our God still is a victorious God. He will give us the victory. He has never failed us yet. He has never failed this local church yet, and he never will. Paul's personal example, and I can tell you the example of my brothers, my fellow elders that I, that I know, they all, we all consider our life secondary to ministry. Paul said, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now, I want to point out first that Paul was saying this about his own life. And for every elder, we should consider our own life, and for every believer as they seek to imitate the conduct and faith of their elders, we should consider our own life as secondary to the ministry, to the stewardship that the Lord has entrusted to each and every believer in Christ. That's our own life, not our wife's life or our family's life. 
No one, whether they be an elder or a believer in Christ, if they have marital or family responsibilities, should ever, ever use the church as an excuse not to carry out faithfully and as completely as possible their ministry to their spouse and family. Failure to fulfill those ministries brings shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul makes it clear, as our brother Gilson brought out, that as far as elders go, if their home life is in disarray, they are not qualified to be an elder. At seminary, the professors made very clear to all the students, if you fail in your ministry at home, you have no ministry in the church. Wife and family come first before ministry in the church. So how do we consider our own life secondary to ministry? I'm talking about our free time, my downtime. You know, we all need a break. The Lord knows. He remembers our frame that we are but dust. He gives us sleep. He gives us time to relax. He gives us vacation at times. We should not be so fixed on those plans of relaxation that when a phone call comes in the middle of the night, 1 or 2 a.m., or just as we've gotten into bed, for me, that's 9 a.m. Okay, I'm old. I go to bed early. My wife would tell you, Paul, be honest. Sometimes it's 8 o'clock. Okay, it's 8 o'clock sometimes. That we look, oh no, I don't want to take this call. This could be ministry opportunity. We can't do that. We need to consider our own life as secondary to our stewardship that we've received from the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the focus and goal of every elder, but it should also be the focus and goal of every believer. We can't be selfish. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, says this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then he cites Christ as an example. Have this mind, the mind of Christ in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be tenaciously retained in his grasp, but emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. That's what we should all take. We should have the heart and spirit, the soul of a bondservant in serving one another. Remember I told you once, I didn't make this up. It, it, I, I read it years ago, but I think it was new to some of you. The word joy, and I had a slide in that message. Joy, J-O-Y. Many of us don't have joy in the Christian life. Or sometimes we think happiness, so there is a difference. How can you be assured of joy in your life? 
Jesus first, others second, you third and last. Jesus, others, you. J-O-Y, joy. You do that and you will experience fullness of joy in your life. You will experience the blessing of God in Christ like you've never experienced before because it's obedience to the scriptures that I've just tried to explain with joy. Boldness in teaching difficult truths. Paul taught whatever was profitable, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I need to take this to heart. Lord willing, I hope he comes before then, but the last time I preach on thinking biblically in July, it's going to be the role of women in the church. I'm afraid of that message. Paul had boldness in teaching even difficult truths. Let's see if this Paul, the scared little mouse of a man, can have boldness in declaring something that some, there might, there might be some who won't think it's popular or won't think it's right. Paul taught the whole counsel of God. It all came from God, so it all must be true. It all must be necessary, needful knowledge in order to live a life that's pleasing to God in Christ. I hope we all want to please God in Christ with the life that we live. And then a willingness not to restrict one's ministry. Teaching you publicly when the church gathered together and also from house to house. There was no ministry that was beneath Paul's dignity. I told you once and I'll repeat it again. I remember at seminary, there were young men, they were chomping at the bit to preach at Dr. MacArthur's church. And they wanted to preach. Before the Dr. MacArthur preaches, the church breaks up into small groups. They meet in the seminary building. The groups, uh, I was part of the smallest one, about 180. Uh, the largest one was over 600 people. And these young seminarians, they want to preach God's word. They're going through seminary classes. The elders would say to them, why don't you come a little early next week and help set up chairs? Some of them were rather insulted. What? I'm a seminary student. I should be preaching God's word, not setting up chairs. That was beneath their dignity. Paul didn't just want the big show publicly, but he would go house to house teaching the eternal counsels of God's word, the truths of God's word. You want to be used by God? Never restrict your ministry. Have your heart and mind open to serving in whatever capacity the Lord makes available to you. Don't just say no. 
Try it. You may find out the Lord blesses you and everyone else abundantly through that service, through that ministry. Remember, regarding giving, and it's true in all forms of serving, the Lord said, he who is faithful in a little thing is faithful also in much. He who is unfaithful in a little thing will be unfaithful in much. Show yourselves faithful in the little thing. Paul was willing to do what many considered. I mean, he was the the herald of Christ to the Gentiles, an apostle to the Gentiles, and yet he'd go sit down with a couple or a small group in their house. Nothing was beneath his dignity. If that opportunity was there, he seized it. Don't ever restrict your ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is below your dignity and my dignity. Nothing is below the elders' dignity to do. As we've seen from our brother Tom, an elder in this church, who do you think I saw mowing the grass yesterday? Who do you think I've seen with his wife and other family members cleaning toilets? Here's a man with the heart of Jesus Christ who will lay down his life and nothing is beneath his dignity. Always have a gospel focus in your ministry. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, always be focused on the gospel. Paul says in verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What he means is there was no one who could ever point the finger at the judgment and say, he never told me about salvation in Jesus Christ. It's his fault I'm being condemned at the judgment. Paul said no one can ever point the finger. I'm innocent of every man's blood. I went about preaching. I testified to everyone, Jews and Greeks. I didn't turn my back on anyone who needed to hear the gospel. Always have the gospel focus in one's ministry, especially if you have a teaching ministry, whether it be to children, to your family, to the church, a home Bible study, Sunday mornings. It doesn't matter. There always needs to be a gospel focus. That's why we include the gospel in every message here. The saints love to hear it. It's the song of eternity, the lamb who shed his blood. But it's what the unsaved need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. It always needs to be voiced. It may not be the primary focus of Sunday morning, but it ought to be part of our teaching that Jesus Christ came to this world, bore the sins of the world in his body on the cross, and bled and died to purchase salvation for as many as who would believe in him. I hope you trust in him today. I hope you trust in that good news, that gospel. That is the biblical gospel. Apart from any man-made additions, 
That is what the scripture teaches. In Christ and what Christ did alone is their salvation. And none other is their salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven given amongst men wherein they must call on to be saved. Peter preached those words in Acts 4. That is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you have questions about that, there'll be people in front here after the service. Ask them. Ask me. There are so many people here who would be so blessed if you ask them, how can I know that I will spend eternity in heaven with God and Christ? They'll be happy to tell you. Never coveting material things. Paul says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or close. When you don't focus all your energies on making money, there will be times when you'll have to go without something. You cannot serve God and unrighteous man and money. It's one or the other. There are going to be sacrifices. Some people will make larger sacrifices than others. But never covet material things. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Be willing to serve even at one's own expense. Paul said this about himself. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner. Paul was a tent maker. He made tents. Not at every local church, but at some of them, he supported himself. At other churches, the churches supported him. The point is, be willing to serve at one's own expense. The church should not have to pay for service. None of us should ever say, the church owes me because of what I've done for the church. That is an attitude, it's the exact attitude uh, opposite the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one owes us anything. We should serve willingly and out of love for our brothers and sisters. We should serve out of love for God and Christ. Paul showed that there are times to serve at our own expense. No one should ever turn their back on ministry opportunities, on service in the church, because the church cannot pay them. Serving the Lord, whether you're an elder or whether you're imitating the elder's faith, should always involve exercising generosity to others. Paul worked with his own hands making tents, and he said, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Your elders should demonstrate for you all a heart of generosity. Maybe in a church this size, 
an elder can't display generosity to every single person here, but hopefully there's someone in this church that has been blessed generously by at least one of the elders. Hopefully none of you have been excluded. Elders should exercise generosity towards those that they shepherd. We all should imitate that and exercise generosity. John makes this very clear in his first epistle. Interestingly, he was also writing in the church of Ephesus. Did you know that? Perhaps you recall that in 2017 when Trey and I preached through 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John writes, He who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes up his heart against him, John then asks this question, how then does the love of God abide in him? The answer is obvious, it doesn't. If we have this world's goods, then we should share with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, be an example in prayer. Elders should be an example in prayer. I think of our brother Mike Browner, a real prayer warrior. Joey Shavs, who did the announcements, a real prayer warrior. His mother, a real prayer warrior. I wonder where Joey got that from. He got it from his mother. A woman has influenced her son with that example. Be an example in prayer. When Paul had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. The saints learn to pray from their elders' prayers. They learn the right way to pray. What should be the right focus in one's prayer? Look, the disciples needed to learn that from the Lord. They came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so the Lord taught them how to pray. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. And he gave them an example of how to pray. We should be an example in prayer. Our only prayers should not be the gimmies. Lord, give me this. Give me that. Lord, I need this. I want that. There should be something more to our prayer life than just expressing our needs. Look, there's nothing wrong with expressing our needs. Please understand me. But that should not be the only prayer that we offer to the Lord. Be an example in prayer. The elders should be your example in prayer. You too can be an example in prayer as you imitate the faith of those who have led you. Are you thinking biblically about local church leadership? What are you thinking this morning? Hopefully we all have a humble, teachable spirit that is willing to submit and subject our will, our opinions to God's word. Let us try to think biblically. As our brother David exhorted us last week, let our mind be transformed and renewed through God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for all the biblical examples we have of those who were 
mighty men and women of faith and how they lived their lives before you. Oh, Lord, the cry of our heart when we read their stories is that we want to be like them. Oh, Lord, we want to know you more, to know your love, to feel your power in our life. Oh, Lord, we don't want to consume this on our selfishness, but we want to know this so that we may praise you, we may serve you better, we may bring you more honor and glory. Oh, be pleased, dear God, to help us conform our thinking to your thoughts, to think your thoughts after you, to think in accordance with what is revealed in your word. Oh, dear God, we thank you for your patience with us, how long you have put up with us, how many years has it been, and still we acknowledge, we confess before you that there are parts of our life which still are not in the subjection and submission to your lordship, to your word, the way they should be. Thank you for your patience with us. We praise you for it. We thank you for continuing to work with us and not casting us away. Oh, Lord, in the coming days, help us to think biblically about all things and in so doing to come to know you more. We ask all this for your glory and your name's sake. Amen.